Welcome to Stacks on Stacks, the interviews. Today's interview, Jason Higgins. Jason is a postdoctoral fellow in digital humanities and oral history in the College of Liberal Arts and Human Sciences. That post is jointly affiliated and funded by the university libraries here at Virginia Tech, and it's tied closely to the Center for Humanities, so closely, in fact, that he reports chiefly to the director of that center, Sylvester Johnson, who joined us last week on the interview to plug his podcast, Vox Humanities. Jason just got his PhD this year. In fact, he was still finishing up uh, the dotting the I's and crossing the T's when he started here in late August. Uh, His dissertation project was Stars, Bars, and Stripes, Veterans in the Criminal Justice System Since the Vietnam War, on which he is proposing a monograph with UMass Press. Currently publishing is with UMass Press is a edited volume, Service Denied, Marginalized Veterans in Modern American History. Uh, both are in the UMass Veterans series. So welcome, Jason. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for the invitation. I feel like I could already co-opt this conversation to talk about like veterans history collections and oral history collections because that's been on my brain a lot for other reasons. But <laughs> Well, I mentioned that Jason is partly funded by the libraries, Kira, but there are certain areas of the library with which he'll work more closely. It has to do with how the fellowship is structured and what his areas of specialization are, but they happen to map precisely onto your area and my area, special collections and Virginia Tech Publishing and Digital Humanities. (laughs) But uh, that's what makes Jason um, such a great person to talk to because uh, both of us are so closely affiliated with what he plans to do. And so that brings me to, (laughs) Jason, how does all of this activity and achievement that I listed in your introduction, um, how is that going to inform your vision, going to translate into like what you will do with this two-year appointment here at Virginia Tech? That's a great question, one that I'm defining as I work each week, it seems. Um, But to answer the broad question, I believe that I fit the vision already in place for Virginia Tech. And I think that Dean Mora Belmonte really saw how I fit that vision, Um, including initiatives in veteran studies, oral history, public history, and um, war and society more broadly. Yeah. So you mean the tripartite mission of teaching, research, and engagement. Indeed. So uh, next spring, I will be teaching the Vietnam War, which is an area of my specialization, as well as oral history. Um, So I'm combining two of my areas of specialization (laughs) for this. Very excited about those two endeavors. My research, um, you mentioned my dissertation, which I'm currently writing a book proposal for with UMass Press. I have a little experience with UMass Press in that I am, uh, we actually sent it to the the press last Friday. So service denied marginalized veterans in modern American history is a co-edited collection I've been working on with John M. Kinder. He is a professor at Oklahoma State University. He specializes in disability studies. I'm writing a chapter for that based on my dissertation, or I've written, rather. Um, It's called Prisoners After War, Veterans in the Age of Mass Incarceration. So in all of that, your area of specialization seems very clear. 
Uh, you are an historian. You just earned your PhD in history, and you're specializing in, it seems, the marginalized populations within veteran communities. But you have, it occurs to me, another specialization, and that a specialization of methodological process, right? And that you're generating a lot of your key source material by conducting interviews to collect oral history narratives from some of these veterans. So I wonder about your route to these. Did you enter your field of study intent on becoming an oral historian? And veteran studies provided a compelling pool for that, for those narratives? Or uh, were you interested in military or veteran studies history of a sort and you found oral history methodologies to be a good fit for that direction of study? Or was it a combination of the two? Well, I guess both. Um, it's kind of a false dichotomy to think in those terms, I think, because I was recording oral histories with veterans before there was a thing called veteran studies. <laughs> so although I recently graduated with my PhD, I've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, I started interviewing veterans as an undergraduate at the University of Arkansas at Monticello. I'm not shocked at any of our listeners might not have heard of that <laughs> university. Um, but I got started because I was studying World War II in the Pacific Theater. I was also a waiter. Um, after going back to college as a 23-year-old man, I went back to my high school job as, as a, at a steakhouse, and I was a waiter. And if you've ever worked in the restaurant industry, you know that there are veterans who always come in on Sundays <laughs> and they drink their coffee. And I just struck up a, a, a friendship, rather, with this 88-year-old veteran who had survived at Tarawa. And yeah, this was one of the most disastrous amphibious invasions in, in marine history. And so he survived the entire war, obviously, because I was talking to him. But um, I documented his story and I presented that research at a national conference, and that really encouraged me to continue to think more about the experiences of veterans, not only at war, but afterwards. And that led to a project on the Vietnam War. And through those experiences, I, I found it very empowering that uh, oral history could help these veterans understand their own lives and struggles in the context of others. Uh, and I just, I've been doing it ever since. I've interviewed about 100 veterans over the past 10 years. Wow. And has, has, has your interest there always been within marginalized communities among veterans? Um, I would say there's two parts to that answer. One, I think with the with fewer than half of 1% of military veterans today, or people in the military today, I think that most veterans are somewhat marginalized. But um, no, not necessarily. Growing up in Southeast Arkansas, I wasn't really engaged in marginalized communities as much as I probably should have been at that point. Um, these were white men who served in combat, which is kind of the archetypical veteran. Um, but as I went to graduate school and I continued this process of identifying veterans, I kept coming across marginalized stories. And that really ended um, and began with um, my interest in African-American veterans. 
So I interviewed a veteran of the Vietnam War named Melvin Morris. And in, I believe, 2014, President Obama, then President Obama, reissued the Congressional Medal of Honor to him because he had been denied that medal during the Vietnam War era due to race. And that was a very powerful experience for me. And I started researching more about African-American Vietnam veterans. And to this day, 50 years later, there aren't that many historical monographs on Vietnam veterans or a couple. And they're really good. Um, and one, James Westheider, he wrote about two pages on incarcerated veterans or veterans who end up in the criminal justice system. And I started researching further and no one has done that work. And I began that process at the, at the time at which there was a lot of attention to the carceral state and mass incarceration. And it seemed like a really great nexus between those two developing studies with carceral studies, veteran studies. And of course, I bring an oral history, public history aspect to that. Yeah, so uh, that, that, that does seem like a great uh, overlap there. I mean, it really uh, draws out some interesting, potentially observations on American society. And I think, uh, and I wonder about the the subjects and the, the story certainly the stories they have to tell but before uh, we get to that too deeply i'm wondering um do you find that when engaging either of these communities just veterans generally or uh marginalized sectors of among veterans um that you need to take any kind of special care or sort of change your method of engagement when with these oral history narrators with, with all veterans, I think there are certain ethical concerns that one should consider before interviewing a survivor of trauma. For example, I rarely, if ever, interview someone who doesn't have access to counseling services. Uh, I might consider that on an individual basis if someone didn't have access, but I would, I would be very reluctant to do that. I always do a pre-interview in which I talk and meet and introduce myself, answer any questions that a potential narrator might have before doing these. I also explain three things. Uh, you don't have to answer any questions that make you feel uncomfortable. You can stop the interview at any time and you can go back and omit or delete any material that you don't want public. And I always tell people that, you know, whatever you say on tape, consider it public record, even if no one ever hears it. And I think that that helps. Um, and that was a long journey to understand the needs for that because those guidelines haven't been firmly established. Um, so I, as a, I did a master's in English at Oklahoma State University, and I was really engaged in trauma studies and disability studies. And so I had that expertise going into my PhD, or expertise at the level at which of a master. Um, but I think that those are really important concerns to have. And whenever you're bringing in further marginalized populations, those problems can be exponential. For example, women veterans, one in four women in the military experience sexual assault. Uh, so that's, that's a concern that if you're interviewing veteran communities, you should be aware of those potential problems that might arise in the interview that you might not be prepared for, which has happened. Um, so... African-American veterans, for example, experience 
discrimination in numerous ways beyond what you might think of as overt prejudice in the field. It might come in various forms. There might be intergenerational trauma that comes up as well. So that's a, a long way to say, yes, um, it's a very serious subject matter that one should seek to gain some type of familiarity with before doing. Well, when you talk about uh, the fact that um, some sort of guidance around all this is not as accessible as maybe it should be, and you reference your own personal long journey to getting to the point where you understand the importance of this, I mean, how does how does that inform the way you teach undergraduate students how to conduct an oral history interview? I mean, I assume within your class on oral history and possibly your Vietnam class, you'll want to have your students try this out to some degree? Um, that's one thing I'm learning how to do is to teach others um, and to delegate this work. I, I, I never had an undergraduate with me during an interview, for example. I just, I wouldn't, there's a lot of trust involved that I think that comes with experience. I will be teaching the Vietnam War in the spring here at Virginia Tech, and I'll also be teaching an oral history methodology course. I have designed online open access educational materials designed to train undergraduates to do this type of work. Um, I make that available for free. It's on YouTube. Um, and, and originally they were designed to teach students to interview people with disabilities. I expanded that using my background with trauma. Um, you know, there are a couple of cardinal rules, if you will, whenever it comes to interviewing people with experiences like that. And, um, you know, you want to have counseling services or at least recommendations in place for people who need them. And you need to look for the signs during an interview of that happening. And if that happens, you pause, you stop, and you allow the person to make that decision whether or not to continue. This is part of shared authority. And to give people agency over their own stories is really important in the field of oral history. Yeah, I think you raise, I, I, and as I always preface my comments, I am by no means an expert in oral history. Um, I'm one of those people who's just on the fringes of it. But, you know, I think you've touched on a couple things that also come up in the archives field when we think about oral history and we, and we do oral history. And you made this really important point of anything that you say on tape becomes part of the public record. And I think the the methodology that you've talked about and leaving space for all these things is really important. The other thing that kind of occurs to me is, is the reticence of people to agree to oral history in the first place. And is that particularly true uh, of the communities that you engage with. Because like I said, I know a little bit about this and it's come up recently for other reasons for me. And I'm thinking more about the, do you get people to engage at all? And and if so, how? Or when do you just decide this is not the appropriate time to have that engagement and you know, either pause or decide this is not an interview that's gonna happen? I think that that's particularly relevant when it comes to Vietnam veterans. Um, a lot of Vietnam veterans, whether these memories are part of the collective national consciousness of the war itself or some personal experience, many felt betrayed or abandoned by the government or um, spat upon. There's some, some work in the, the field of sociology on this idea of whether that really happened or not. Um, but I, I think it does serve as a metaphor for the treatment that veterans actually did get whenever they got home. And how that translates into relationships with family members, with community members, um, with 
scholars or <laughs> teachers of the Vietnam War, um, it can it can be quite decisive. Um, I I tend to I go around this problem in some ways because I, I don't know if I'll be able to continue to do that. But I was a student, mm -hmm. and so a lot of veterans will step into a teaching role, and I'll just have people just tell me your story mm -hmm. and validate it. And you know, no oral historian is going to be like a journalist to challenge them directly during an interview. Sure, <laughs> um, but moreover. <laughs> As I continued this project, um, people reached out to me. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these people had never told their stories before, not even to their wives or spouses or family members or children. And a lot of people were at the point in their life where they wanted to reflect and, and find some meaning and leave behind a legacy for others. And they found oral history a very effective way to do that. Um, they reached out to me via social media. I was very active in, in promoting this work to the point that I no longer had to solicit interviews. Yeah. I had people reaching out to me, which made me feel better about the work that I was doing because I wasn't going out and, and feeling like I was exploiting an already marginalized group of people, but rather people who had been denied their own stories, their own histories. They had been unwritten in the annals of American history. And so they wanted to participate in that way. And in that sense, it, it's collaborative, it's open, it's inviting, and, and it leaves them with a sense of resolve. Wow, that's great. So I'm, I'm wondering to finish up then is there any aspect of what you plan to do here that, uh, I mean, I'm really interested to see how, how your courses go, what kind of um, projects you get into, but um, I'm wondering if you have personal goals regarding, like, is there anything you're, you're planning to engage that you're hoping will sort of uh, develop some evolution within your um, research or pedagogical methodology while you're here? Well, for one, since I'm on the radio, I would love to reach out and connect with veterans in the community. Um, I'm new to Virginia. I recently moved from Massachusetts, so I'm always trying to engage in community. I'm a public historian. That's my focus. I'm always looking for service projects. I'm uh, teaching this oral history class, and I think it's really important for students to have um, service-oriented projects in mind that can reach the community. That's one. I'm also planning a new project right now with deported veterans. These are veterans who, for some reason, are deported beyond the boundaries of the United States, um, which I think is egregious. So the, these are men and women who um, serve the military and put their lives on the line. Uh, they're at risk. And so I think that it's really important to uplift those communities. Right now, um, there's a lot of efforts in Congress to repeat, repatriate deported veterans, uh, get them access to the COVID vaccine. These are all really urgent problems. A lot of these guys come back and they're only allowed into the United States after they die. There's a lot of burial services. So they're, they're incorporated back into the United States after their death. And i and this happens a lot. If you follow the Deported Veterans Support House on Facebook, you can you can follow these stories, and it can be really disheartening. Yeah, certainly so. Well, thank you for that, Jason, and thank you 
for talking with us. But before we go, in the spirit of your story about having connected with potential narrators over social media and you're reaching out to the community, do you want to give folks ways to get in touch with you? Sure. Um, so you can reach me via email. Um, Jason Higgins at vt.edu is one possibility. I'm also pretty active on Twitter, Jason A. Higgins. Um, you can reach me that way or on Facebook. You can follow my Incarcerated Veterans Oral History Project page on Facebook as well. Um, I'm more than willing to meet people and engage with people. I'm really excited for the possibilities over the next two years here. There's a lot of um, robust areas of growth and development with veteran studies here with oral history. Um, and I'm really excited to be part of that. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking with you, Jason. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Our guest on this episode of Stacks on Stacks, The Interviews, has been Jason Higgins, postdoctoral fellow in Digital Humanities and Oral History in the College of Liberal Arts and Human Sciences here at Virginia Tech. That fellowship is jointly affiliated with the college and the university libraries and closely tied to the Virginia Tech Center for Humanities. To find the YouTube series on oral history training that Jason referenced during the interview, you can search Oral History and People with Disabilities on YouTube. To hear this episode or other episodes of Stacks on Stacks, the interview, or to browse any of the podcasts published by Virginia Tech Publishing, you can visit publishing.vt.edu. Stacks on Stacks, the interviews is a component of Stacks on Stacks, the university library's weekly radio broadcast on 90.7 WUBT-FM Blacksburg, radio for everyone. You may be listening live between 3.30 and 5 every Tuesday. Uh, we usually air these segments at around 4.15 or so, or you may be taking it off of uh, wherever you take podcasts from. However you're getting us, Thanks for listening.